a recent study shows that it's going to take around 300 million quantum bits or qubits to break Bitcoin encryption within an hour. To put that into perspective, the current most powerful quantum computer is only 127 qubits and IBM owns that. So it's going to be a while before Bitcoin is actually broken, but that's that research is not the most instructive thing here. When I read that, the first thing that came to my mind is what does it really mean to break Bitcoin public key encryption? Okay. So I started doing some uh, research of my own and uh, effectively thought I'm it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna make a an interesting episode effectively talking about these things. So in this episode of the Back Engineering Show, I'd like to try to attempt to answer this question. What does it really mean to break Bitcoin encryption? And during that to achieve that, we really need to talk about what is uh, the private key, what is the public key when it comes to Bitcoin, and what is a Bitcoin address and how are these effectively communicated and and uh, and merged within the protocol itself and then finally i'll go through the steps of how can you actually break bitcoin how can you obtain funds from a wallet from a bitcoin address effectively if you figure out how to break these encryptions effectively so it's just this is all and it's a theoretical, technical, very deep technical discussion. If you're interested, stay tuned. Welcome to the Back in Engineering show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on on the show. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Back in Engineering Show with your host Hussein Nelson. And I know I don't talk about uh, blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto in this channel, just because. Uh, let's be honest, the the industry has been bastardized, right? There is no meat of you know real technology discussion out there. Uh, but but if we actually look deep down, the paper that is originally published so elegant so simple if you think about it, real real hard and just just 
try to extract it as as its essence before any of this stuff that we people are talking about just go back to that and and it's it is so beautiful right from from engineering perspective and i i'd like to shed some light on that and go back to the basics and just talk about that yeah of course uh there is always the limitations and how can we make, make things better but th that's that's what i want to talk about effectively so that when that article was published back in september a few months back effectively trying to break bitcoin encryption the first thing that came to my mind is like what does it really mean to break bitcoin like where do you start how does this thing even work and it really comes down to breaking public key cryptography which is used in a lot of other sectors in the technology right we use it on a daily basis when we establish a tls session we exchange uh, keys you know symmetric keys using public key encryptions so right we use diffie hellman and then we use algorithm specific algorithm that is uh, effectively getting better and better and better security wise and we deprecate and we uh, try to not use older algorithm that has proven to be weak all right so that that's the basic things so how does a public key cryptography work the basic idea is the ingenious behind having something called a private key that nobody knows and having generating a public key from that private key that can be shared and we're going to come to bitcoin and how is even the public key is actually not known all the time which is something i didn't know fascinating stuff all right so once you know the private key and the public key you keep the private key with you the public key you can send it to someone else and uh, they can encrypt content with the public key but the moment they encrypt that content with the public key only the private key can actually decrypt it and vice versa you can sign stuff or encrypt stuff with the private key and only the public key can actually decrypt it that's usually called it called the the signatures how this is how signatures work basically so it's the reverse is signing the inverse is encrypting effectively but this asymmetry is what makes it powerful so the the unknown having the unknown of the private key is what makes it really so that's that's what the model here the moment the private key is known the whole thing collapses right we've seen this with heartbleed when someone managed to find a flaw in open ssl that managed to read the private keys off of memory all right and leaking them effectively back to the client bleeding bleeding them effectively and the moment you know the private key i, I made a video about this it's, it's just it's terrible you can do pretty much everything that's it right it, it breaks the whole model that's why tpm was invented the trusted platform module i think that's one stand for so that the this piece of device stores these keys and the memory the users of that operating system any processes don't have direct access to read those private keys so we really need to make sure the private keys are secure effectively right so that's that's the goal so once we know that public key cryptography now we come 
to Bitcoin itself. Bitcoin uses uh, 256 length of these keys effectively, and it's called elliptic curve uh, digital signature algorithm or ECDSA, right? And that is the algorithm that is being used today. So 256 bit of security effect. Knowing that in order to start spending those Bitcoins that you have or send a transaction, you need to generate those keys. So you're going to generate a private key, keep it secure. You're going to generate a public key off of the private key. That is, eh, that's public, that's sure. But then we also generate a third parameter that's called the Bitcoin address. This address is generated off of the public key. And we go from left to right, the private key is secure. You go to the public key. But once you have the public, if you know the public key, you cannot effectively derive the private key. You cannot go back, right? When I say cannot, means it's infeasible. And that's what whole breaking Bitcoin is about, is just going back effectively, right? So once you get the public key, you use that public key to generate something else that's called a Bitcoin address. And it's effectively doing some hashes on the public key so they get an address. So once you have this Bitcoin address and you have the public key and you have the private key, now you're ready to send a transaction. So now you might have a question it's like, why do we need a third piece? Why do we need an, an address? So I have, uh, I have two theories. Some of them are public. Some of them are, I think, uh, part of it as security. Right? So the first obvious thing is that the public key length is around 64 bytes, right? That's a lot of bytes. If we decide to use the public key as the main identifier for your account, which is the 64 byte, then the, the, the sizes of the transactions will bloat effectively. And, and as a result, the blockchain will get bigger and it won't be as practical to store and transfer these blocks because you're going to have fewer transactions in a block and uh, depends on the block size and all that jazz right but but that's why uh, that's why people actually introduce this new thing that's called the bitcoin address which is just 20 bytes it's effectively some hashes that goes like one way hash plus some algorithms that reduces down to 20 bytes so you have 64 bytes down to 20 bytes obviously dealing with 20 bytes is not only easier but also uh you know saves less disk space and the most important thing which is not really mentioned is the implicit security aspects of things right because and i don't think this was originally the intention in my opinion to, to add an additional level of security. It just, we got it for free. I'm not going to talk about why it's secure because we talk about public key. It's okay for the public key to be public, right? But it's really the only line of defense if you think about it, right? 
That's the only line of defense when it comes to Bitcoin. The moment you find a way from to generate the private key from the public key, which is not obviously it's not feasible, it's very hard. You need a lot of compute power to do that. But if you do, that's the only line of defense. So by adding this Bitcoin address thing, but not only you have to know the private key, you have to also know the public key, which is not available easily to be eavesdrop upon. Right. So now attackers have to work double the time. Right. So they have to first they take the address, which is publicly available. It's, it's in the transactions, obviously. But and then somehow find a way to reverse that to get the public key. And then once they get the public key, then they have to reverse that to get the private key. But now, Hussein, you said that the public key is not visible, right? So we deal all the time with this Bitcoin address thing. That is, we never actually sign things with the Bitcoin address itself, right? Despite it being a product of the public key, we have to sign with the private key and then verify with the public key. So sometimes someone need the public key to verify transactions. Who are these people? They're called the miners. The miners require the public key. When you post a transaction, when you actually want to post a transaction, it says, hey, okay, I want to send 10 Bitcoins to this particular address. What you need to do is, uh, Bitcoin is not really an account-based system where you say, okay, or well, deduct something from my account. It's not a stateful system. I'm pretty sure that term is wrong, but I'm going to go with it anyway. It's not really a stateful system. It, it, the state can be derived from the transactions itself. It's always as, as, as a product of an input and output. So if you want to spend 10, 10 Bitcoin, you're going to give me a transaction as an input that proves that you have those 10 Bitcoins. Does that make sense? So that's, that's how essentially the blockchain works. It's an, it's an ingenious thing, to be honest. All right. Of course, I made another video talking about the how I am really don't like the proof of work concept and how it's being abused, you know, because we have a lot of wasted effort when it comes to the proof of work. We have a lot of miners competing of CPU cycles, but they are thrown away and only one wins. And, and whatever time we spent mining, all this power is just lost. We don't actually use it. And I know that people will say, oh, just look at the financial institution. They're all using how many powers are used. But whatever power those are using, is they're actually directly volatiling the, the actual database. Or it, it's, it's always, they're using it directly for a use. Bitcoin, you're throwing it away. The CPU pool of power they're competing. So there are millions and millions of miners pulling all this CPU power, but only one will win, right? At the end of the day, only one. And that is why I think the proof of work is not really efficient when it comes to energy consumption. But that's my opinion, obviously. Where were we? <laughs> we're jumping all over the place. But yeah, what are the miners? So the miners... Take the transaction. When you post the transaction, when you say, when you want to say, hey, I want to transfer 10 Bitcoin to this address, to this, go ahead and get this address. Then what will happen is 
uh, you have to prove that you received those 10 Bitcoin from some other transactions. So you input these transactions effectively. And here's this input, right? Those transactions, the old transaction, better have the destination as you, as an address you own. Doesn't have to be the same address. It has to be an address you own. What does that mean? What does it mean that I own an address? We're back to public key cryptography. It's all public key cryptography. This is where something called the public key script hash comes into the equation, where that whoever sent you that 10 Bitcoin previously must have included a script, a riddle, if you will, that says, okay, for whoever I'm sending this, um, uh, this 10 Bitcoin is must prove that they own this. And in order to they, in order to prove they own this, they have to sign effectively that transaction. In order to, if you want to sign it, you have to provide the public key that corresponds to that address. And you have to provide not the private key. That's a bad idea. You provide a digital signature that you signed some piece of data that you signed with the private key and include that digital signature with the public key. So you have you effectively include two pieces of metadata with that transaction as an input. And the moment you do that, the miners will take a look at the data says, okay, how can I prove that this guy actually owned that old transaction, that 10 Bitcoin that's sent to him? Well, let me take a look. Well, Oh, they claim to own this Bitcoin address. They provided a public key. Let me hash this public key. Do I get back the Bitcoin address? Yes, I do. But that's not enough because anyone could have obtained the public key, right? Somehow, right? Uh, we'll talk about how in a minute, but it's, it's not hard. But that's not enough. I need to prove that you guys own that public key. And that's where the digital signature comes into the picture. So, so I'm going to take that public key and I'm going to verify that digital signature. And if I get a valid data, that means whoever signed that piece of data, that signature must have the corresponding private key that matches the public key, right? Otherwise nobody could have done it. And once this riddle is solved, now we know that this guy has an input transaction that is valid and the miner can approve that transaction effectively and this is where they need to mine a new block and do the whole five zeros to the hash and do all that jazz but that's the verification is the first step that is when a public key becomes visible so we all deal with bitcoin addresses but this is the only time that a public key is actually visible to the miners when a new when you post a new transaction you say hey i actually own this old transaction it was transferred to me and I own this address and I prove it, right? So once that public key is visible, someone could sniff that. But here's the thing, it's only become available for a certain period of time while the transaction is posted and before it's actually accepted to the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Because after a while, you don't, once you, when the, once the miners approve the transaction, they don't need the public key anymore. So how long does that take? It takes around 10 minutes, I believe, to an hour 
for a transaction to be posted. That's the transaction time. You can speed that up if you pay more money, transaction fees. So the miners are feeling incentive to spend more CPU cycle on you and effectively get all these transaction fees, right? So some transaction fees can, uh, transaction speed can change effectively based on that. Right, why, why are we talking about this? Talking about, I'm talking about why the when the public key is visible for something later that comes to the later in the podcast, or, or I'm going to talk about that. This is very critical to understand. So this is the only visible window where we can check, get a public key effectively, right? We talked about the pri private key and the public key and the Bitcoin address, right? Should I have just one? right? Bitcoin address for all my transactions. Bad idea. So this is in cryptography called the perfect forward secrecy. You never use the same thing over and over and over again, because someone can go back. Once they find the private key, they can go back and undo all the work if they recorded those transactions effectively, right? It's That's why Bitcoin uses something called a wallet. And in the wallet right? Every time you do a transaction, the wallet creates a new key for you. It's going to create a new private key, going to create a new public key, obviously, and it's going to create a new Bitcoin address for you. And if you want to send that, the input for your old transaction becomes your old address, and the new one becomes your new address, whatever leftover so you're going to send some money to someone and the leftover goes to your new address never to the same address that's the best practice nobody create sends money to themselves right it's just a bad idea effectively right so you always create new addresses so now you have a wallet with a bunch of private keys with a bunch of public keys with a bunch of bitcoin addresses that you all owned right so it's not just one, it's a collection of keys. And the easiest way to break Bitcoin is find the wallet, that file. Some people, some people just upload it to the cloud, believe it or not, this wallet, that. And once you have that, that's it. I believe I, I read there somewhere. Uh, the FBI confiscate, confiscated uh, uh some uh, money laundering from a uh, scheme from Bitcoin. And they found out that the wallet.dat file was uploaded to some server and they obtain, obtained a warrant and downloaded that wallet.dat and got all their money effectively. So collectively, they got a collection of Bitcoin addresses. You'll never get one. You're going to get a collection of Bitcoin addresses and all those money, just put it in a transaction, send it to a one new address and basically maybe leave them uh, 0.0001 Bitcoin. I leave a few things for the transaction fee probably <laughs> but that's what happened so the easiest way is just to get a wallet uh that file so that's basically the easiest thing obtain the wallet that file you're good the second approach to break bitcoin cryptography is to get the public key and then use what the researchers have done throw all the power all the quantum power because no you're not gonna get, get enough cores to do that and throw all the uh quantum power on it to reverse engineer that and get back the private key and once you get the private key you can effectively sign transactions on behalf of that address right but 
here's the thing the public key back to to my original point it's only visible for a very brief amount of time that's the 10 minutes to the 60 minutes mark right before while the miners are mining and approving your transaction so during that when you publish that transaction when someone publishes that transaction the whole network blockchain will get notified will get broadcasted effect so the blockchain will be notified with this new transaction the public key will be there including the digital signature so someone could sniff that public key so you have now 10 minutes to an hour and you don't you have no idea how long the transaction will take so if you manage to break that public key and find the private key within 10 minutes and quickly create a new transaction and transfer all the money to some new address and give some incentive to the miners with a lot of transaction fees then your transaction might get executed before the original transaction as a result you just stole their money again whatever i'm saying is technically infeasible as of today we're gonna come to that later and see if that was gonna stay the same in a few more years another approach which is the harder approach i guess is to look for a bitcoin address with a lot of cash let's go to satoshi nakamura's bitcoin address last time i checked he didn't really spend that money maybe he did so we have the bitcoin address we don't know their public key right so spend some cpu power to find out their public key from the bitcoin address because it's a it's a reverse operation so you're kind of trying to reverse engineering the hash the hash of the hash it's not easy but if you manage to do it you're gonna get the public key once you get that public key then do the same thing on the public key to get the private key we're talking maybe years but if you get satoshi's nakamura private key you're gonna be loaded obviously right so you're gonna have everything that he had right the next thing you're gonna do once you have this private key you're gonna sign a new transaction uh inputting his trans his latest transaction which i believe it's the genesis block transaction into your and and then Go ahead and do your marijuana and send it to a new Bitcoin transaction and that's it. Yeah, that's it. I'm just saying, hey, that's it. Yeah. As if whatever I'm saying is just so easy to implement, right? So, but but that's what it takes to actually break Bitcoin, right? Now, let's come finalizing this podcast and talk about something called the bits of security, right? I talked about earlier, I talked about RSA and why we rarely use rsa anymore right rsa uses like by default it started with low number of bits 300 400 now it's in the thousands like 2048 and 4096 bits why because larger is better like more secure but rsa is is not as secure as elliptic curve uh, uh digital signature algorithm why there's something called bits of security. So there is the bits. Hey, this is 2000 bits. Or the, the elliptic curve for Bitcoin is 256, right? There's just the number of bits in the keys itself. But then there is also the something called the bits of security. How many bits off of those are actually the actual bits of security that we 
need to scan to get an answer to crack this effectively. And they found, I have the numbers right here, actually. For, for RSA 2048 bit, the bits of security are only 112. So you can easily break this with enough power. By break this, I mean take a public key and reverse it and find its corresponding private key. That's what I mean, right? The math, be by the way, the math behind all of that stuff, I'm going to reference uh, uh, Dr. Mike Pound, amazing professor from Computer File, amazing. He talked about these in details. Uh, the math is over my head, to be honest, right? I'm not really great at math, so uh, you, I'm going to reference all of this stuff too if you're interested to know more. But yeah. That's because we know the bits of security in RSA. But nobody's talking about how many bits of security are in elliptic curve, uh, elliptic curve uh, digital signature algorithm. Yeah, we're so confident that, oh, still 256, it's going to take you billions of years. But this, this was also the case with RSA. We used to say, oh, RSA is going to take you billions of years, right? But that changed. What makes you think that someone will find that the number of bits of security fall up to curve maybe in a few years that is actually maybe, I don't know, 100 bits or 128. That makes it weaker. So we don't know. The answer to this whole episode is we don't know. <laughs> right? We don't know anything. Yeah, this is a new security. This is... I'm pretty sure Bitcoin will be upgraded to the new protocol. And I, uh, the, the moment we find a, a vulnerability, we're going to upgrade to a, new, a, a newer, better protocol, and we're going to upgrade the version. And by the way, I have no idea how the peers of the nodes, maybe people here in the cryptography uh, space can answer this question, but I don't know how older clients of the blockchain Let's say we find a flaw in an elliptic curve uh, digital signature algorithm, right? And uh, we need to upgrade to a new thing. We're going to bump the version number of the Bitcoin. But how do we guarantee that older clients shouldn't be actually accessing the blockchain? Can you guarantee that? How, how can you guarantee that? You cannot block I can write my own block blockchain uh, Bitcoin uh, client that does everything. And basically ignore all of that stuff, right? And yeah, maybe we, if with, with enough honest nodes in the chain, we only accept this number of version Bitcoins. The older versions are not really accepted. But yeah, we came a long way uh, reading just uh, the original Satoshi Nakamura's paper, which basically doesn't have any concept of wallets, doesn't have a concept of elliptic curve algorithm, doesn't have a concept of a Bitcoin address. It doesn't have any of these concepts. It just has really simple, the private and the public key. And then they built something really good. The proof of work, really not big. Of, I'm not really a big fan of that but uh, i know ethereum is working with uh, a lot of stuff uh, the proof of stake i believe uh yeah i am not sure I, I again i i really not i'm not really versed in this space uh, but yeah i'd love to see what do you what do you guys think about all this stuff i really like the technology i love what's understanding these basic simple things i love what they what they built i'm just not i'm not finding enough interest to pursue these things you know the nfts and whatever ethereum i i, I don't know i don't have this interest. smart contracts you know the idea of some i understand it as well you know 
to a certain extent i don't i don't think there is a use case to be honest like i, I think we're kind of inverting this thing i think we created the technology and now we're kind of sh trying to shoehorn a use case in our throat right uh, and I, I don't know if there is one to be honest right uh, the whole crypto craze to be honest i think i just i think we're trying as much as possible to just kind of working bottom up you know when we usually work with technology we find a problem and then we create technology to solve this problem with with this blockchain thing we're we're starting bottom up looks like we have blockchain now we're trying to shoehorn thing i understand uh, the original thing let's solve the financial problem the the cent let's solve the centralized financial situation but yeah is there really a big problem to solve there maybe it's a dream too far i don't yeah i don't see a problem with the centralization of things uh, i might be against the grain here but that's just my opinion what do you guys think let me let me hear your opinion in the comment section below and uh, uh, i'm gonna see you in the next one you guys stay awesome goodbye